This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Care pastor here, and the most important thing I can tell you about myself today is that I am wearing matching socks with Margie Fawcett and Val McIntyre. Thank you. They are Joan of Arc, and on the sole it says, "I am not afraid. I was born for this," which is so cool. So anyway, just wanted you all to know. That gives me a great deal of confidence to be anything like those two amazing women. So, um, I also just want to add, I feel like the Lord is up to something, so if I don't quite preach what I have written down, my apologies, but I just don't want to miss what the Holy Spirit is up to either. So, um, I live in Winfield with my three beautiful children, my husband and our puppy, Moose. And when I drive from work here home, I drive on Manchester Road. And right now, I look for this every spring. There's this certain little nook in between a bunch of houses, yeah, Lucy knows, that is just covered in flowers. And I don't know what kind of flower they are. They're blue. They're blue? Scylla? There we go, Scylla. And it's just astonishingly breathtaking because you have like suburbia, suburbia house, house, and then this massive field of blue and lush green, and there's trees that look really old. And I always almost have car crash driving by because it just takes my breath away. It's so beautiful and all I want to do is stare at it. And I felt that same way today watching the vigils this afternoon. Um, like there was a beauty there so powerful that I just couldn't take my eyes away and I wept through half the readings. I didn't know why. I just know it spoke to a longing in my heart um, that is profound and wordless. And I think that our passage tonight is also speaking to that place in our hearts. So we are made to be united to beauty, friends, and being a spectator is not enough. Just being on the outside looking in is not enough. And this poem in Isaiah 4 is a painting of a perfect home where there are pride and honor and glory. And when I read it, I am stirred to the depths of my soul with a longing to live in that home and to live, and we've got to have our C.S. Lewis reference now at 2 a.m. So just like in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, when Eustace and Lucy and Edmund are looking at that painting, and then all of a sudden it comes alive and they're in it, like this passage for me is that I want to be in it. I can't, I can't take just looking at it. I need to be inside of it because it's something deep inside of me is made for this. I have a longing for it. And it's the same feeling you get when you watch that reading about the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Eden was a place where God reigned in glory. The earth yielded only good fruits. There was no question of who belonged there and who didn't. It was perfectly safe. And I know in my heart of hearts that I belong there. That is my home. And God created Eden because he wanted us to live there in perfect communion with him and with his body, the church. And his ideal future for us, which we see in this passage in Isaiah, mirrors that ideal past that he originally created. This time, instead of a garden, we see a city full of people who live in perfect fruitfulness and harmony and safety. And these two homes bookend our lives as Christians. We come from the garden and we'll end up in this city. They're both real places. They're not metaphors. They're tangible, physical places that one day we will see. But the thing is, we don't live in them right now. <laughs> Um, I can't jump on a train to Eden or to the New Jerusalem, right? Um, we live in between these two Edens, the garden and the city. We were kicked out of the garden, and we can't get into the city until Jesus comes back or we die. 
And if everything within us longs for these homes, what are you supposed to do? I mean, every time a friend is diagnosed with some new illness, or you wrestle with that lifelong impact of abuse that you just can't shake, or you mess up an important relationship, you know this is not how your life is meant to be. And when I read the Isaiah 4 passage, I feel that initial hope and like, I belong there, I want to be there. And then if I'm honest, I feel like, um, like a crash and a sense of loss because I don't, and I feel grief. That's not my life. We don't live there yet. We live surrounded by sorrow and pain. So it makes me ask myself, okay, well, what is it that I'm longing for? What is it in this passage that just calls out such a response in me? And so I just want to pick out a few things that I think are essential to who we are as human beings made in the image of God that this passage speaks to us. So first and foremost, home, these places are our homes. Home is defined by the presence of God. Eden is God's kingdom. He's totally in charge. The New Jerusalem is God's kingdom. The branch of the Lord will be perfectly in charge. And in both places, this just blows my mind. It just blows my mind. You have complete access to God. You can walk with him in the cool of the evening. You can soak in the power of that pillar of fire and smoke. No glass darkly, just direct access to the living God. And then you see that Eden is a bountiful place. This new Jerusalem is a bountiful place. The passage says that the fruit of the land will be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. What the people bear is glorious. There is no need, no lack, no hunger. Everything you need to thrive is at hand. And the fruit of your labors is perfect. And this Eden is holy. It is created in the likeness of create its creator and is thus perfect. Sin has no place in it. And everyone who dwells there reflects the holiness of their creator and is totally free from sin. Which means they belong there. They're meant to be there. They belong in that space, all holy together in these places. And because of that, and because of the presence of the Lord and the bounty, we see that it's a safe place. This home that we are made for is safe. It's protected in this passage by a shield. Create over the whole site of Mount Zion and her assemblies a cloud by day and a smoke by night, and the shining of a flaming fire, and all over all the glory there will be a canopy. It's protected. No storm can break through. Snakes whispering false promises are not welcome and have already been dealt with personally by Jesus Christ. So reading this passage, I think, stirs longing in us because our world is so clearly not that, but we are made for it. We're made to live under a perfect king in perfect communion with Jesus in a place where there is no lack, everyone belongs together in holiness, and everyone is totally safe. So is that it? We just have to be patient and wait for the day that you die or somehow physically be present. Jesus will come back. Yes, there is actual truth to that. And there's great growth, I think, in us as Christians when we submit to the waiting and to submit to God's timing. But there's also nothing wrong with praying, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, because we long for him to come. However, I realized in preparing this sermon that after all my years at resurrection, I had fallen yet again into the Gnostic spirit of the separation of mind and body because I kept thinking about Eden, Eden, and me here somewhere in the middle, and I'm totally separate from them, and Jesus kind of helps me access them. And then just the Lord convicted me that that's exactly what Satan wants me to think. He wants me to think that he took over the world when we got kicked out of Eden. It's all his territory now, and we're just stuck here, 
and we get to escape it sometimes in Jesus, but most of all, we're just stuck here until we die. And it's the opposite. This world is good. What happened in the garden did not change the fact that this world is good and a means of communion with Jesus. So that means right here, right now, we have access to Eden, and of course, it's through our living Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us access to this home in himself and through his body, the church. So as I was thinking about this longing, it it occurred to me that there's two ways we can deal with a longing like that. You can try to fulfill it yourself, obviously. Um, Or in this case, we can let our creator, who's the one who made it and made our longings in the first place, satisfy us. So what does it look like when you try to create Eden yourself, your own home? Well, first of all, obviously, the wrong person is in charge. (laughs) I love Matt's sermon about this. It's like you're not submitted to Jesus Christ as the one in charge. You want to be in charge. You're the one making your home. You're the homemaker here. Jesus just gets to be a consultant. We think we have control. We think we can set up our own happiness. Um, We make ourselves up as these puppet kings, and it's doomed to failure. And when we do this, we are forever hungry. Trying to recreate Eden when you aren't God is really hard work, and the tools and materials you're using are broken, and the fruit of your effort is stunted. Instead of reaping bountiful harvest and eternal fruit, you just reap pale imitations of the real thing that leaves you empty and dissatisfied. At the best, the fruit of your labors will be dissatisfying, and at the worst, downright dangerous. It says in Galatians, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And another way we try to recreate the beauty of Eden is trying to manufacture a sense of belonging. In the New Jerusalem, everyone will be called holy, and therefore there's no doubt if you belong. And this side of heaven, we spend so much time desperately trying to prove that we belong. And within the church, I think it often looks like cultivating a clean exterior, that you're just, you're a moral enough person to belong here, and hopefully people will like you. Um, And at best, you are pursuing holiness, but if we're honest, most often our motivation is not a love of Jesus in the church, but a desire to prove to everyone around us that we do belong here, I promise. And often I think this is just a painful reality, is that you're trying so hard that you kick yourself out. You can't feel that belonging because you have this ideal you set up of who belongs in the church and who belongs in your home, and you don't fit it. You know your heart. You know it's inside of you. Um, You don't meet your own standards, which then leads to this heartbreaking isolation and loneliness when you're in the very midst of your own church family. And I, I speak to this just... I came to Resurrection, believe it or not, 20 years ago. I was in high school. Um, My parents were missionaries in France and moved to America kind of suddenly. And I had the classic MK thing where it's just like, I do not belong anywhere. Don't belong in France, don't belong in America, don't belong anywhere. And I was really depressed. I was actually clinically depressed that season of my life. And my brother was at Wheaton College at the time. He was like, Megan, you've got to come experience this church that my girlfriend took me to. It's called Church of the Resurrection. I think you'll really like it. I was like, okay, fine. I didn't like my parents' church because I was the weird missionary kid there. Everybody knew me. Um, so I came to Res, and I walked in, and it was home. It was home. It was the first time in my life that I had experienced a place other than, like, in my parents' physical presence that was home. But you know what? It has taken me 20 years to feel like I actually belong here, 
even though I knew that there was something here that was home and I was welcome, in my own mind and heart, I just kept convincing myself that I didn't quite fit. I was a little too fancy and weird French MK for everybody, or I just didn't understand cultural illusions, or I wasn't holy enough, whatever. I just had so many lies running through my head of why I did not belong here. And it made me make really stupid choices that made me miss out in community, if I'm honest. There's so many beautiful people in this church that I didn't make friends with because I was convinced I didn't belong. So why would they want to be friends with me? Which was just a lie, and a self-perpetuating lie at that. So I just want to specifically name that way that your desire for belonging can make you feel like you don't belong, and then it's this horrible self-fulfilling prophecy that Satan loves to jump onto with you and keep you isolated. And lastly, of course, we try to make ourselves safe. Do you not spend 75, maybe like 95% of your time and energy trying to ward off the things that you're scared of? With money, with your friends, with trying really hard to get good grades, with your coping mechanisms to hide your internal pain? I just I think anxiety is a classic example of this. So many of us suffer with constant anxiety, and it's just fear masquerading itself because we don't feel safe and we don't know how to fix that. And yet pain and suffering continues to exist and persistently enters our homes in the church despite all of our efforts to make ourselves safe. And it just it makes me say, Lord, have mercy on us. So then, if that's what it looks like when we try, where it, it just defeats itself and it doesn't work, what does it look like when we let God fulfill our longings for Eden? Well, first, I think... We have to submit, as Pastor Matt preached so beautifully, submit to the fact that Eden is God's to give and not ours to create. He is in charge. He's the one who made it. He's the one who knows the plan and the architecture of this space that we belong in, and he can give it to us perfectly. No pale imitations, no mockery. And in his perfect plan, he sent Jesus to make it possible for his kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven now. Jesus brought heaven to earth, and God in him created a permanent pathway back and forth between heaven and earth so that we can receive the promises of Eden, this side of heaven. And when we step into that space with Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives you exactly the things that you are longing for. The Father gives us good gifts, not a snake when you ask for a fish. So, for example... When you step into that space of receiving from the Lord, saying, I am not in charge, you are in charge, by the Holy Spirit, you become fruitful. When you live in submission to Jesus and you invite his Holy Spirit to fill you, you will overflow with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All things that we are completely incapable of producing in our own strength. And you'll have good gifts to give other people, like prophetic words, teaching, uh, discernment. There's just so much that we give to others when we step into our belonging to the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And your life's work is guaranteed to be defined by grace and not failure because your life's work will be received from God. I, um, I wrestle with this one all the time because I'm really hungry for more of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not always sure I know what it looks like. And so recently, I was really wrestling. I'm a really intense emotional processor, and it usually looks like quiet, 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 and then boom, explosion on whoever happens to be near me. And I was feeling frustrated with myself. Um, 
in a recent season about this, just like the way that I cannot control my emotions sometimes. They just overwhelm me and overtake me. And so I was just like, what, man, I've got to practice better self-control. I've got to grip my teeth and just not say these feelings when they come up, and not splatter them all over everyone. And then I realized, well, it's the gritting my teeth and trying not to in the first place that gets me to the place of explosion where I lack self-control. So that's not working. And then I just it remembered in the Lord that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I thought, well, Lord, I really need the fruit of self-control. I do not have it. I, I really suffer with this. And it was also terribly exposed. This Lent is, fasting was really hard for me this year. Um, but, you know, in his gentle mercy, he has. He's given me these moments when I usually would have just burst out at whoever is near me, my children, my husband, a poor coworker, And instead, I would just feel this sense of peace coming in and self-control being actually available to me, whereas before it wouldn't have been. And that's just a small example of what it looks like to let the Lord fill you with fruitfulness. And when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you belong to a big Holy Spirit-filled family. There's only one Spirit that empowers everyone who belongs to Jesus, which means you are now the part of the body of Christ and an irreplace irreplaceable, unique member, and your last name is Holy. It's Margie Holy over there. I'm Megan Holy. We all have the same last name in the Lord. You like the same food, bread and wine. You have the same favorite book, the Bible. You belong. Because once you ask to belong to Jesus, your name is written on the city census. It says that in this passage. Everyone whose names has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. Jesus, as, De as Deacon Margie preached, has written your name on his hands. You belong. You belong to this family. And then Jesus loves you too much to leave you dirty and bound by sin. So he invites you to come and submit to a proper scrubbing inside and out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this cleaning service is available 24-7 for the rest of your life. No stain is permanent when you belong to Jesus. I mean, can you guys believe that? We belong here in this church together in Jesus. Not a single person here does not belong. And if you think you don't belong, that's a lie from Satan, not any sort of truth. All of us belong in all of our quirky uniqueness. We are irreplaceable parts of the body of Christ. And lastly, and beautifully, Jesus fulfills our longing for perfect safety. And this one just hit me in a really deep place because I think these past two years of our church life have been defined by a profound need to feel safe and the fear that arises when you don't feel safe, when things feel threatened around you and you're not sure who's safe and who's not. And I, I found myself over these past years constantly trying to find safety in any way that I could um, when I would feel disoriented. My poor husband bore the brunt of that. And then one day, I think I've told this story before, the Lord just reminded me, like, Megan, literally the only solid ground in this world for you is my word. So step on my word, and there you will find safety. And on the cross, Jesus permanently conquered sin and death. We say that all the time. But do you realize that means you do not have to be afraid? There is nothing to be afraid of. You will live forever with Jesus, no matter what the earth holds for you right now, no matter what your life will happen in your life, whether you're loved or unloved, whether life goes as you want it to or not, nothing can separate you from Jesus. He has taken the sting out of your fears. The canopy of his death and resurrection is already covering you, and Satan cannot penetrate it. 
Any suffering we experience now is temporary. It's temporary. And it's hard and it's painful and we're human, but it's temporary. And only threatening just this short piece of time that we live here on earth. Nothing can steal from you the perfect joy that you will end up in and that we have access to now in Jesus Christ. So yes, this world is definitely not Eden, but the promises of Eden and the new Jerusalem are breaking through, have broken through in Jesus. And our longings are good because they propel us into the arms of the only one who can satisfy them, Jesus, the branch of the Lord. And when we drop our fruitless efforts to create a safe home for ourselves, then we can spend our energy presenting our longings to Jesus and letting him give us the Eden, the beauty that already exists in him. So I, as I was praying over this, the, the belonging piece really hit me hard, maybe because of my own story, but I just had a sense that some of you would probably also wrestle with that. And there's, um, so first of all, if you just believe that you don't belong, as I said, that is a lie. And as we transition into worship, I would invite you to bring that lie to the Lord. You can ask someone to pray for you. You can come touch the cross and just place that lie there. You can denounce it just in your own authority in Jesus. Say, I denounce the lie that I do not belong to the body of Christ and to Jesus. And I also had a sense that some of you feel like you're kind of invisible, so it's hard to belong anywhere when you don't really exist. Um, there's just a sense of like fogginess about your personhood. Um, and that's the same. I would just invite you to bring that. That's a lie. You do exist. God has given you a beautiful body, as Bishop Stewart preached early, man and woman. You are tangible and real. You are part of the body of Christ. And so if you suffer under that sense of fog and lack of being, um, I, again, I just come, bring it to the Lord, ask for prayer, um, because we need you, friends. We need you in the body of Christ, pursuing holiness together so that we get that taste now of the new Jerusalem that is ours in Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait. There's not some horrible in-between where we just suffer, suffer, suffer until we finally get there. In Jesus, we have access to that today. And I also just invite you in, in those kind of lists of ways that we try to make our own Eden, if any of them really hit you, like you really try to be fruitful in your own strength, you really try to be a good person, and yet somehow it never ends up how you want it to be. Bring that to the Lord. If you never feel safe, um, there's something that haunts you, there's some feeling that, yeah, you never feel safe, come bring that to the Lord and ask him to just pour by his Holy Spirit the perfect safety that you have in him because nothing, absolutely nothing can take you from his arms of love. Amen.